You're listening to... What's the name of this show? Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wrestling Source Radio. Brett screwed Brett. This is Hold one. Arm drag. I did it for The Rock. Bishop, you turn the camera off and I'll be naked when you come back. Yahtzee. You're welcome. Go ahead, one, two, three, count the Wrestling Souls Radio. through the ages. An event that captivates the heart of an entire world. This is a night that carries us back to the enchanting world of our youth. Welcome everyone, it is Wrestling Source Bottle, aka Wrestling Source Radio, Joel Brown your host here and we are on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts and uh, make sure to give us a 5 star melter review on the Apple Podcast uh, and I'll read them out on the show. You can also connect with us on the socials at says source, that's source as in barbecue sauce or tomato sauce, S-A-U-C-E. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, was a little bit on the TikTok but I just can't keep up with that stuff in the young kids but speaking of all things socials i'm uh, really excited to have my next guest as we deep dive arguably one of the best wrestlemanias of all time and i'm calling him a wrestling social media influencer not the beak from the creek at james vanderbeek jeremy tate hello and welcome hey thanks for having me again joel uh yeah man this i was actually not too uh, familiar. I usually watch the pay-per-views once. I'm not a go-back guy. So I was like, oh yeah, WrestleMania 17. That one was pretty good. So I was stoked to watch this. Pretty good. Uh, a bit of an understatement. 20 years ago. Um, yeah, so it's, I mean, I just think of, you know, the 90s to me was, oh, that's only, that was only maybe about 10 years or so ago. But 2001, 20 years ago. Whew. I mean, what were you, what were you doing back in 2001? Uh, wow, I was... I was working at a shoe store. I was a manager, probably a little in over my head. Uh, my first, they moved me from general or assistant manager to manager. And I was like, okay. So in over my head in my job position, but big wrestling fan, kind of 
secretive about it. It was back in the time where you didn't really necessarily tell everybody you were a big wrestling fan, you know what I mean? And if you saw somebody outside that was maybe a wrestling fan, you maybe even avoid talking to that person because you don't know what kind of conversation you're going to get into. But, oh, man, yeah, the 90s was a period of time where I didn't want to talk about wrestling. Going into the 2000s is when I started getting into independent wrestling, but I still I didn't want to talk about my fandom much. How about you? Ah, well, I was... 12 years old i think in year six at primary school oh man i was old i'm old i was i was 21 at the time buddy i was uh, i mean i was full obsessed young uh wrestling fan and obviously being in australia there was a bit of a i guess i wouldn't say a time delay but de- de- didn't have foxtel which is all how you'd how you'd watch raw or smackdown and get the pay-per-view so i was a little bit delayed in once when i did finally see wrestlemania 17 but Actually, I, the first thing I saw was the end of the show package. Uh, so obviously, of course, Limp Biscuits my way and saw that and basically knew, knew everything that happened, but watched it and was still amazed by it. And I, and just sort of, I guess this is sort of the, the peak fandom for a lot of people. I mean, some people call this the culmination or the conclusion of the Attitude Era when wrestling was at its peak. But I mean, other things happening in 2001. Did some quick research here. Uh, Sex in the City. They got an Emmy for Outstanding Comedy Series. Uh, yeah. Uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, that's how it's known in the US, but apparently uh, everywhere else. Uh, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Uh, that was the first, uh, I guess, book or the first, yeah, the first, yeah, the first movie um, uh, for the Harry Potter uh, franchise. Uh, or for J.K. Rowling. Obviously, that made her a lot of money with those fantasy books. And topping the Billboard's 2001 uh, Hot 100 Singles Chart, it was Lifehouse Hanging on a Moment. Hanging on a moment with you. At the shoe store, was that uh, blaring? Indeed, like any sort of popular eighty or nineties alternative rock, they played even old school stuff. But definitely that song was in there, and the video too. Uh, whew. Dude, uh, mention about being not wanting to talk about the fandom. I guess maybe that was more of a thing in the states, like because it was embarrassing. A lot of times, wrestling fans are not people you want to. So nowadays it's a lot better. There's people are more open about their fandom, but back then it's like the person who was loud and proud about wrestling was not the guy you want to chat about wrestling with. And it's weird because wrestling being at its, I guess, peak, uh, you thought it, and it was kind of somewhat in pop culture. I mean, you'd be able to attest more to this than me being over here in Australia, but it, it was, um, it was massive here. Like, you know, the Stone Cold Steve Austin, the rock and that type of stuff. And sort of, yeah, it, it, it is sometimes you kind of had to be a little bit of a, a closet wrestling fan at times, especially after the Attitude Era. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And honestly, I love the Attitude Era so much. In retrospect, now that stuff doesn't hold up, but this definitely does the guys the main guys like the rock austin that stuff is still perfect it's so good uh, it's unbelievable that we had those two guys at the same time you know what i mean absolutely and we'll talk about tunes um touched on it there limp biscuit uh, my way that was the theme for wrestlemania 17 and what a theme it was i mean when i was a kid i felt the lyrics were um it's my way my way on the highway not my way my way or the highway <laughs> I was a big Limp Bizkit fan. I still like him. Um, I totally changed my fashion sense for a period of time to try to be like Fred Durst. I had a backwards red baseball hat, nice. khaki pants. Man, Limp Bizkit, the best. 
uh, Chocolate Starfish. I'm pretty sure that was released in 2001 as well. That's one of their uh, classic albums. But depending on who you talk to, it's you know when the when the band kind of uh, they get their I guess their commercial best selling album, and a lot of fans go, oh, they've gone commercial or too poppy or that. Uh, would you say that for Chocolate Starfish? It definitely was more polished. Sure, like the early stuff was really hardcore. Then the rap hip hop stuff was good. But yeah, it got super polished. But I still liked it. And yeah, eventually people are like. Ugh, Limp Biscuit. But there's kind of a resurgent lately of wrestling fans being open about their love of Limp Biscuit. Uh, AJ Gray, he's one of the popular independent wrestlers. He actually came out wearing a Limp Biscuit hoodie to this weekend's show. So it's, I guess there's a big resurgence for those guys. Absolutely. And I mean, you're at the shoe store being a manager, not wanting to talk about wrestling as much as uh, today, but. The lead up to WrestleMania, unlike any in its time, uh, I mean, as I said, the conclusion, the culmination of the Attitude Era, the XFL, I think, was fully underway here. I think they're going into either round one or round two. And the cherry on the top for WWE was them acquiring WCW, their competition, throughout the Monday Night Wars. And also, Shawn Michaels, he was still on the books, but uh, was let go, uh, I think, a few days before this show. A lot happening. The whole WCW purchase still like crazy to think about. Even when the, when Shane showed up on on WCW, I was like, "No, this is not real. Like this isn't happening." It was tremendous, and the total debacle that was the invasion that came from that was such a disappointment. Still, here we had high hopes about what could happen, but. Yeah, we all know what happened eventually. Yeah, it's crazy how much was happening at this time. And to put in perspective, my uh, 12-year-old self thought that somehow WWE and WCW were coexisting. I didn't even realize because, I mean, I wasn't reading dirt sheets or uh, on the internet back then. I just thought these two companies were somehow coexisting, having no idea that basically WWE or Vince McMahon purchased them, got all the cheap wrestlers and all the ones on big contracts. Oh, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll sit it out. We'll sit it out until you those contracts are up yeah that bit was when you find out about all that it's like oh that makes so much sense like yeah why would we go to work like we could just chill vince buying his competition is such a like the ultimate vince thing it's like just so perfect for his branding we, we need to get this out of the way straight away do you say wrestlemania 17 or wrestlemania x7 i would never say x7 in my life it's definitely 17 Speaking of that, maybe that's why I had to, when I was trying to pull this up on the network, I typed in WM17, nothing comes up. I had to like to actually type out WrestleMania 17. And maybe if I typed WNX7, it would have showed up. up. Yeah, because I, I realized when I sent you the Zoom request, I had X17. So we're actually quite a few WrestleManias ahead uh, in the timeline now. But... I found it. Don't worry. No, <laughs> it, it took some time. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, uh, I mean, a record-breaking crowd. Uh, it was on April 1st, 2001, the Astrodome in Houston, Texas. The first WrestleMania, apparently, according to Wikipedia, in the state of Texas. Uh, 67,925. Now, out of that attempt, Attendance. I'm not sure if Dave Meltzer got into the nitty-gritty. Was that including workers or people in the basements or in the bowels of the Astrodome, I wonder? Is that the real figure or the worked figure for everybody? <laughs> Who knows? I actually want, uh, got to hang out with Dave one time with my buddy Matt Farmer down in uh, Orlando. It was for during the WrestleMania weekend, and he was actually going on and on about attendance records against worked figures and real figures. It was actually pretty interesting. Well, I mean, if people are in the building, even if they're working, uh, I mean, that's uh, that's technically an attendance. They're in the building, right? For sure. 
Or, I mean, the capital extra inflated a thousand, they just add on there just so it looks nice. Absolutely. I mean, I was at uh, Super Showdown back in 2018 at the MCG, and I think we got about 72,000 there. And I reckon that definitely included people working, but uh, hell of a number uh, for a wrestling event, especially at the G, where they can hold about ninety to 100,000 for an AFL game. So that was uh, impressive. But just uh, just looking at the, I mean, the, when they showed the crowd and just the stage, everything, it's just, I know they've gone beyond this and what they can create with the stages and things they do. But just something like looking back at this, it just obviously brings back the memories in the childhood. But just the aesthetic and just the stage, I just can't help but still love it. Yeah, it's actually one of the better, still one of the better looking setups they ever had. Super polished and clean. Nothing like they do something really gross now. Like they're really over the top. So this was nice and subdued, but still really professional looking. Of course, you know, I I think there was even a game version of this uh, video game made for this show that had the whole setup. They did it. They went all out and took the whole entire setup and made it perfectly on the game as well. I remember, I think it might have been, was it SmackDown, Just Bring It? Maybe, I know that, that they had the WrestleMania set on that game, and that was like a... I think, though, there was an actual WrestleMania 17 game. I could have sworn oh, wow. for a GameCube, yeah. Back when the GameCubes were a thing. I don't think I ever had one. Did you have one? I did. I had, like, three games. I got very bored of the GameCube. Metroid. I had Metroid. I have no idea what that is. Metroid? No. Oh, yes. There I go, showing my age again. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody who knows Metroid, let him know. Let him know, everybody. All right, so the opening package. What do you think of this? I thought this was set the tone for future Mania packages that would just be, obviously, they've got the money, they've got the the content to make these great uh, opening packages. But it was very funny watching this. Uh, people all around the world, where, whether it be the farmer or people uh, in different countries outside glass watching WrestleManias of past. I mean, I mean, as a, as a whole... Great production, but I did have to poke fun at the uh, couple in the back of the car watching WrestleMania. <laughs> That's yeah. Where? Why were you watching WrestleMania there? Amazing package, Freddie Blassie. Like, don't they? Is this the first time they used that Freddie Blassie video? Because I know they definitely reused this after that. Oh, I'm not too. I'm not too sure. I mean, uh, I mean, it I might mean... have been the first time they used it because I know in subsequent years it has, but it just like the perfect tone, Freddie just being awesome and grizzled as fuck. Yeah. I mean, I, I still have to poke fun at the couple in the backseat of the car. I mean, do you think many babies were conceived during WrestleMania 17? I mean, you know, little Jimmy's birthday's coming up, you know, and uh, Jimmy's dad and mother, they, you know, they got done watching Steve Austin turning heel, uh, spoiler alert there, at the Astrodome, and uh, they're in the mood for love, and now he's little Jimmy. It could be, maybe even mid-show, what would be the match you skipped to go get it on? <laughs> it's like, oh, we could skip this one, honey, let's go. Yeah, in the back seat of my car. But no, I thought, I mean, opening, absolutely sensational and set the tone. And then obviously, of course, uh, we spoke on the, the stage and the crowd absolutely going crazy. But you would be a little bit surprised if, if you forgot in the timeline that Paul Heyman on commentary with Jim Ross, obviously Jerry Lawler, I think, packed his stuff up and went home because they fired his then wife. Um, yeah, that's the one. And uh, a bit of a, a bit of a shock at first. But uh, how did you see the duo of Jim Ross and Paul Heyman? I, I was actually super excited hey man even putting over the fact that it's his first wrestlemania but i actually want to go back one step there was a line that they did with the voiceover guy he goes uh hey in my notes he goes wrestlemania a celebration of life presented by snickers cruncher <laughs> just like oh my god <laughs> over top branding trying to make it super serious but also snickers cruncher <laughs> and furthermore for little jimmy being conceived yes indeed 
a little snacky. But yeah, uh, I love him. I actually really dug their uh, chemistry, to be honest with you. I, I always did. And we kick it off hot uh, IC title, Intercontinental title, Y2J, Chris Jericho taking on the commissioner, William Regal. And the one thing that I always took away from this match was how hard Chris Jericho was chopping the hell out of William Regal that his chest was absolutely like blood red. Yeah, the match was a little bit shorter, so maybe they... You know, we're let's get all we can while we're out here, show people what we have. But yeah, you're right. He was really laying him in there pretty good, huh? I love the lead up as well. Um, Chris Jericho peeing in the tea of William Regal, and the one thing uh, William Regal, like obviously everyone knows he's a great technician and great wrestler, but uh, I guess he, I wouldn't say his acting skills, but his reaction to things, obviously when he sips the tea, uh, which they show in the little montage before the, the match gets underway, just his little uh, uh, reactions, and he was... Uh, we all know that he's a great wrestler now, but even just looking back at this, just uh, the timing and uh, how great of a performer William Regal is. He's a great straight man, but he's also really, when he can be silly and show his ass, he definitely goes all out. He's hilarious. And he, a lot of people, like, he even made a point, like, people don't realize his whole gimmick of being the super proper Englishman is actually funny itself because that's just goofy and not really who he is you know what yeah. I mean? but yeah it's just amazing it's super funny and uh one thing that did freak me out early on in this match was i think uh jericho's jumping over the top rope and almost misses uh william regal and goes into the front row at the astrodome overshot it completely that's one of those fans experiences you know like there's meet and greets that's a different kind of a meet and greet he's literally in your lap at that time oh also during this match there was a couple moments where I don't know if you caught it. Do you see these guys that got super excited every time they appeared on camera? Like they realized they were on camera. They were fans that just jump up and acting like total assholes. It's like, act like you've been there, buddy. It's it's funny. I don't think crowds are like that today. I, mean, I remember back in the, obviously watching from the 90s and even the early 2000s and having your sign and getting on TV. That was that was, that was was it. That was, I guess, sort of the, the getting retweeted by your favorite celebrity. Yeah, actually, somebody recently said that was like the first wrestling memes. Those, yes. the re- yeah, really, they were. Yeah. Absolutely, and uh, we so we talk about uh, William Regal's chest, um, but he always seems to get a busted lip. I don't know whether he he's a blader of for the lip as opposed to the forehead. <laughs> That'd be insane to be blading the lip. Oh my gosh! Yeah, he does that. I think because he likes it uh, a little snugger, he probably just lets people lay it in. He ends up getting busted up too many times. A slight botch at the end there, uh, positioning wise, but uh, Y two J gets the lion salt, or yeah, he's still calling it the lion salt uh, at this stage. And uh, one two three retains the. Intercontinental title, a pretty good opener. I mean, for WrestleMania 17. Um, but interestingly, uh, we get a shot of uh, a limousine pulling in WCW number one on the license plate of the limo, and it's Shane McMahon is in the building. He's uh, ready to take on uh, Big Daddy Vince. But one person who I did like this incarnation of their character, uh, Bradshaw, the uh, Acolytes uh, Protection Agency. They always used to have the beards, the cigars, and uh, uh, cigars, beers, and cards uh, back at their little, I guess, their office. And it was just a door, but they didn't have any other structure around that. Um, Bradshaw, uh, getting very nervous because he's in his hometown, in a six-man tag, taking on the RTC. And obviously, he you you may have a little bit more of a reference in the references he was making uh, at the Astrodome. Um, I forget what he actually said, but I just know that the this probably was the gimmick that really got Bradshaw in everybody's hearts. Uh, yeah. Like the whole Justin Hawk Bradshaw cowboy stuff was goofy. And they just kind of threw APA together to be 
originally uh, Undertaker's, you know, acolytes. Yeah. And then they build it up into this hilarious gimmick where they're just beating people up, drinking beers, and probably the most true to life characters that have been on TV compared to the guys themselves. You know what I mean? And they are uh, with uh, Jackie as well. So it is the RTC. Bull Buchanan, Val Venus, and the Good Father taking on your yeah, APA and Taz. Uh, Stevie Richards, I'm a I'm a I'm a big fan of Stevie Richards. A bit of a Stevie Mark, you could say. Uh, he gets on the mic here. Oh, it should be Stephen Richards. Sorry, uh, sorry get that right. Um, he gets on the mic and uh, is straight away cut off by Taz. They're like the cancel culture of that day. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they go in. We don't approve of this. We got to get rid of it. Cancelled. <laughs> I actually really liked this whole group. I appreciated the uh, Stephen Richards actually getting an opportunity to show that he wasn't just this goofy sidekick and mm. cut off shorts, even though we love the goofy sidekick and cut off shorts. But yeah, Stephen Richards was great. And I think uh, RTC, they didn't last too long after this WrestleMania. I think this is kind of the, the swan song. Culmination of the whole thing. Yeah, as a group. And you, you sort of hit the nail on the head, the whole cancer culture thing. I've, I've, I've thought for many years that like uh, even just like a guest uh, appearance or like sort of like a reunion night that you could have the RTC and it would still very much uh, hit with the audience. One of my favorite things is if you really think about it, RTC, their whole point was they were trying to clean up the WWE and now the WWE is PG. So technically they won. <laughs> The RTC one. And I remember as a kid, I hated these guys. I really like had a passion for uh, hating these guys, obviously, for what they stood for. And I, The music uh, was really key. The music absolutely. was so perfect. And I think, you know, there's a lot of, you know, while there's good performers and good athletes uh, in today's uh, wrestling, they kind of sometimes don't uh, hit in, you know, there's the quote-unquote go-away heat as opposed to really hating the bad guys, if that makes sense. Yeah, for some reason... X-Pac got the go-away heat to a point where they actually changed it to X-Pac heat. He's that <laughs> terrible. They dislike him that much. But yeah, generally disliked, but not necessarily where you want to. I just don't want you to see these guys on TV. No, they're just great in the roles. And what a great evolution for the characters like Godfather and Val Venus. Like, both of those gimmicks were pretty stale by the point that they moved into this. So it was a great transition for them too, career extended. And I think I've seen uh, some shoot videos. I'm not sure if the opinion has changed on the uh, the, good fa- the good father or the godfather. I don't think he was a big fan of Stevie. So I don't know if that uh, kind of... Uh... <laughs> was it was the writing on the wall there but Stevie uh, Stevie Richards I think he he's sort of uh, on the I think the Vince Russo brand he's got his own little show there with Vince and I think other things on that I think it's the Realm Network or the brand um uh, eludes me but I like I said I always been a low key mark for Stevie Richards do you think he's a little bit underappreciated sort of similar to like a, a Chris Canyon uh sure yeah definitely because he really was a workhorse at ECW, like the amount of stuff he put in and matches that he had, where he just got his ass kicked for the sake of the show. Like really he was a whipping boy for Raven. Tommy dreamer kicked his ass constantly. Like he always got beat up the blue or BWO. Even at first they got beat up constantly. So yeah, he's one of those guys that because he was in a role where he was constantly getting beat up, maybe they, people didn't appreciate how great he really was because he really is a tremendous worker and a smart guy. Clearly. And the good father taking a clothesline from hell. Absolutely love that finishing move. But looking back in retrospect, probably the amount of people that Bradshaw nearly killed with that move. Dude, and also Bradshaw was crazy. Like the hot tag in this segment. I even put a note here. Like he tried to uh, get good father up in his back body drop, but he was going so quick. He almost didn't fully rotate. He like almost landed on his damn head. It was nuts. 
<laughs> Crazy, right? Uh, but the APA uh, and Taz, they get the win here. And um, Stevie and Richards quite upset uh, giving that as well. Uh, we then cross to a backstage segment. Uh, Steph, Trish, and a uh, very sedated Linda McMahon. And uh, Stephanie McMahon has the daddy's girl uh, printed on the back of her uh, top. And quick question. How do you uh, crush ice? How do I crush ice? Mm. Um, I actually just take a regular cube. I've never gone through the process of crushing. How how would you go about crushing ice, sir? Oh, I would just sort of usually just... Um... I don't know, get a hammer or something around it. But, um... <laughs> but Stephanie's very particular. You have to put it in your palm and, and hit it with a spoon, apparently. Oh, goodness. I uh, totally forgot that about comatose Linda. And then when I saw this, it was perfect timing because it reminded me uh, right before the Bernie memes hit. So I decided to put Bernie into comatose Linda. It was pretty beautiful, but Absolutely. Yeah, Linda's perfect acting. You know, she's, if you're going to be on TV, Linda, just don't say anything. It's perfect for you. It was the role she was born to play, baby. And I tell you what, uh, the hardcore title, Triple Threat next here. And low-key, one of my favorites as a kid, Raven taking on the big show and Kane. And definitely my favorite version of the WWE version of Raven. I call him the Rob Zombie Raven. I dig it. I dig it. Yeah, I, I love the the uh, rolling out with a trash can full of plunder, Raven. That was good stuff. Really cartoony and goofy and made hardcore fun instead of just blood and guts so definitely wwe did up but i still enjoyed it and this is definitely when the hard, the hardcore division was in its prime you had the, i think the 24 7 rule if it wasn't already active at this point it was soon to be or yeah and it just it, it was a bit of a let me up and you know obviously uh you know whenever there's tables or any type of weapons i was all for it as a 12 year old kid but uh, as soon as i saw kane and rob zombie kane and rob zombie as soon as i saw kane and the big show come out i was like there's no chance raven's got a, a chance here and uh, even paul Heyman is is saying run like hell but interesting camera work to begin with but um i think there was a move where kane jumps off the top rope onto the floor i mean for a big man that's a, a pretty pretty good feat but they get into the crowd and it's almost a game of hide and seek yeah it got really slapsticky and silly uh even getting to the point where they got into the golf cart and I wonder if uh, they inspired that later AEW bit where they were chasing the guy with the golf cart. But yeah, Kane nearly ran Raven over, unlike where Sammy Guevara totally got nailed. That was awesome. But yeah, <laughs> this is just a lot of fun, man. And I, I totally forgot how good of a match this was. I just assumed it was going to be terrible. You, you, I would assume or should assume that with Raven involved, it should be pretty good. And it's interesting, uh, the the window spot where uh, Raven gets uh, thrown through. As a kid, I was like, oh my God, that was a, a Joey Styles, oh my God moment. Um, but the makeshift offers that they made that they could just basically destroy. When you realize that they build little rooms inside of buildings when they go in there, it's hilarious. Like, oh yeah, the, that wall is literally just a uh, drywall. No wonder they went through it so easily. <laughs> And apparently, uh, Raven, uh, I think he said on his podcast or just uh, in recent interviews, uh, I mean, a while ago, that in the golf cart, he was hoping to bounce off one of the walls, but didn't realize there was, a, a, I guess, a gap between the, the, the mezzanine or the fence and the floor. And he almost ran over the power cable, which basically would have cut off WrestleMania 17 for a lot of viewers at home. Amazing. That's a great story. Could you imagine that? Like two matches in, or no, three matches in and uh, see you later. Yeah, Raven's career would have been over. 
not, not the way he would have liked it either. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, after that match, uh, obviously Kane gets the uh, victory here, jumping into... Uh, Wait one second. That... At the end of this match, the the way the ref counted the victory, he did a one, two, three on the side of something. Like It was a side of like a set piece. Or I was like, all right, that's unusual. Not on the ground, but okay, I guess it works. Yeah, I mean, because he, I mean, they, uh, it was like a similar thing to what I think Shane McMahon kind of fell on back in SummerSlam, I think the previous year. It was like a little box thing um, that they all jumped in and, yeah. And what was, you mentioned the, the ref doing the one, two, three on the side. And I think uh, they cut away from it pretty quickly, but Kane was trying to get out. And he, instead of he goes, oh, I'm not going to try to jump it and possibly hurt myself or make myself look like an idiot. I'm going to try to kick this plastic, hard plastic uh, see-through thing to see if I can get through. Didn't actually see the end result. So he might've had to jump over it or maybe he did eventually break through it. I don't know. Oh man. Yeah. I, I can only imagine the fans enjoying these assholes getting out of that spot. Like look at them climb out of this crash pad like a bunch of goofs. And, we go to a promo with I want to smash a promo a backstage segment uh, Kurt Angle is uh, watching Chris Benoit tap him out uh, I think on the, the previous Raw and he's very concerned about you know if there's no rep no ref it technically doesn't count he's accompanied by his then friends Edge and Christian who are in a very jovial mood as opposed to uh, what Kurt is in I love Team Eck Team Edge Christian and Kurt hilarious and when they added raven to be or not raven but rhino to be team wreck just th- those comedy bits like i know people like wrestling for wrestling but i love great comedy in wrestling and these guys do it perfectly really enjoyed everything these guys did together especially kurt angle he was the he could be an ass kicker but he also could be a funny guy kind of similar to william regal yeah great straight man but really silly in showing his act like definitely playing the asshole and doing well like that bit with the cards when uh i think who was it was reading the cards and all this stuff was was it edge all the stuff was written beyond it like just kurt being goofy and silly is just tremendous and i'm not sure if you saw this on your network uh or however you watch wrestlemania 17 but uh jonathan coachman speaks with uh Someone from my native land of Australia, uh, I believe her name was Linda Craftsman. Um, you know, they're basically promoting how, you know, they're in all the 50 states uh, all around the world and uh, that she had come the farthest, uh, being Brisbane, Australia. And, and Oh, yeah, I, we did get this. Yeah, and I, I'm on a mission now to see if I can find this lady. I tried doing a bit of a search on Google, not much happening, but uh, if anyone does know who Linda, I think it's Linda Craftsman or uh, Linda something or other. I mean, she could be married or changed the name by now. She, you know, been seen on American TV and all that. She might have had to change the name. I don't know. But if I could find this lady and just do a quick segment with her, that would be amazing. But um, yeah, you, you did see this as well. Yeah, no, I totally remember now. Yeah. Yeah, she was super excited to be there. Yep. And uh, i tell you what, uh, the Astrodome crowd uh, were not happy to see The Rock. Uh, he arrives, uh, hangs up his belt, uh, and we can tell early on that's obviously the hometown boy being uh, Steve Austin was going to have all the fans on his side there. Surprisingly enough, you know, the fans hate that Rock. He's one of the guys that you love to hate. And Steve Austin, like, of course, hometown boy. That was what made the the turn that we're going to talk about later so great. Like, being mm. in that hometown, like, no way they were expecting that. European title next. We've got Eddie Guerrero taking on European champion Test. Now, love Eddie whenever Eddie's out. He's just such a great performer. He can make anything look great. And I guess the, the narrative from previous interviews or podcasts that I've listened to is that, obviously, Test... 
wasn't uh, I mean he you know he was a big guy he wasn't you know like a, a Matt classic type of guy but the the narrative was that Eddie made Tess look good which he did but sort of re-watching this and I'm not sure if um, your your sort of uh, viewpoint on it was it technically it took three guys to beat Test uh, obviously Eddie Guerrero who was in the match uh, Dean Malenko towards the end there and Perry Saturn who was uh, sporting a very Hulk Hogan uh, moustache uh, and a goofy hat first I must say that Eddie Guerrero is my favorite wrestler of all time so easy for me to put him over um i was always a fan of test i think he kind of gets the cold shoulder by a lot of wrestling fans because he was a big guy and he kind of got slated in a, a a big position without working his way up so fat like much like he's just all of a sudden there mm. then he was in the main event picture but i always thought he was good and he got better over time his big boot is one of the best ones i've ever seen if he's not really killing anybody he definitely looks like it so it, it's tremendous and of course, Eddie made him look great. Dean and Saturn being in there. It reminded me of those guys actually coming over, like the whole revolution or what that was that was that the name of their group in I think the revolution was WCW was the yeah, radicals. Okay. Radicals. Radicals, that's right, that's right. So yeah, great to have them over. And but yeah, it's shame that test passed away so early because i think he was really coming into his own i think if he had gotten cleaned up and got back to the wwe they really could have done something with him absolutely um but like i said three men to beat him but uh, i love at the end there eddie guerrero puts on the the uh, funny hat that perry satin was wearing <laughs> yeah that i don't uh saturn had always had interesting attire like he'd always wear those crazy hat and then the super velour velvet shirts like the guy was a fashion icon, really. Well, you talk about the the revolution coming over as the radicals, and I, from all accounts, apparently Perry Saturn was the guy that they was going to be the guy. Obviously, you could argue, uh, I mean, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, who would end up really being, obviously, the Chris Benoit uh, issue, obviously, is going to kind of, I guess, eliminate that. But I, I loved uh, Perry Saturn. I was a big Perry Saturn fan back in the day. Same here. I was a fan from before in the, when he was in ECW with the Eliminators. They're a great tag team. And when Saturn came over, they WCW actually really show, presented him correctly. They made him this badass guy who was no nonsense that just came in there and kicked ass. In WWE, like, I don't know what happened. Like, they realized maybe he was kind of funny and they started putting him all these goofy comedy gimmicks, like Moppy. But yeah, Perry was really freaking good. I have to say, there's some segments which come, I think, uh, closer to the King of the Ring or a few months after WrestleMania here where he gets hit to the head and that's, like, I think, where the whole Moppy thing starts. But You're so, welcome. You're... So tremendous. It's still, like, so memorable. Exactly. We're, we immediately go to that line because it's so tremendous. And we go backstage. Michael Cole interviewing Mick Foley, who is the guest referee for the Shane McMahon v. Vince McMahon uh, street fight. And obviously, when it's Mick Foley, you get that cheap pop with uh, the, right here in Houston, Texas. Yeah. Yes, of course. Uh, I love that people still are like, occasionally people do that, like to do it, and they call it the Mick Foley pop. Like, yeah, just say the name. Mick Foley, go for it. And uh, while doing research, something I wasn't aware of, apparently the original concept was going to be Vince McMahon v. Mick Foley, but Mick Foley turned it down. Oh, I wonder if he was just injured or... I think the narrative originally was that he wanted to stay retired, even though he would kind of... Uh defeat that you come back I think several times later after that and I think he, Mick sort of said he, he regretted doing that because I think it sort of he not that it like affected the relationship with Vince greatly but it he was never looked upon the same I, I think kind of when you turn the boss down uh, it's a I wouldn't say a, a strike against your name but uh, it's always remembered yeah especially with such a situation like a Wrestlemania program like this is Wrestlemania and you're saying 
no that's very surprising so yeah probably one of those things that vince has kept in the back of his mind and then we see a little uh, bit of austin uh, entering the building obviously great pop for as we said the hometown boy there uh, and then we go to angle the chris benoit that's kurt angle of course uh, taking on benoit um obviously heat magnet that is kurt angle comes out starts uh calling all the Texans a bunch of idiots and to stop wearing cowboy hats. And my favorite part is after he says that, you hear Paul Heyman on commentary going, did you hear him, JR? <laughs> Very nice. I got to be completely honest with you. I actually, I skipped this one. Uh, I can't watch Chris Benoit matches, man. I just, I, some people, like they can separate art and the artist in this scenario. I just can't. It, yeah. like, it irks me so much to even see the guy. So I did skip this one. And I, I'm not trying to sound like, you know, a altruistic asshole who doesn't want to watch this murder rest i just it makes me uncomfortable no i i can completely understand that and i'm i mean i i I watched i did watch the match but i do know there's a big uh group of people that don't like to watch it given what these years later and that's completely fair enough and it it is actually um a shame because uh, i mean he was such a great wrestler's wrestler especially with kurt angle who was an olympic wrestler and they did i mean the the first half of this match was basically just like uh i guess i don't know if it's greco-roman or what what the technical term is but they they put on a clinic and it told a a story of you know and Kurt Angle wanted to win with the ankle lock uh Chris Benoit wanted to want to win with the uh the cross face uh sensational match but I any with any Chris Benoit match I think after you know there was a rumble that I was watching um and reviewing with uh, another friend and they kind of said you know it's kind of like the uh, like you sort of get that excited, oh, because you know he's going to put on a good match or put on a good performance, but then there's that thing in the back of your head, you're just like, mm, and that's completely understandable. I re- I remember the match being fantastic. Like I definitely do remember that these guys definitely put on a clinic and they have some really special chemistry. These two guys, it's just I don't know. Uh, I guess I I don't want to say Chris Benoit was a bad wrestler just because he's a bad human being. Like the guy was so good. I just. I can't applaud a man for being good at wrestling when he's a terrible human being. Yeah, no. You gotta cut ties sometimes, man. That's why I hate Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> uh, we get a good shot of uh, William Regal, I think, uh, um, I was gonna say Adam Cole, uh, Michael Cole speaking uh, with uh, Regal and uh, Kamala is uh, on his commissioner's desk. That's a, obviously a little bit of a tease for the gimmick battle royal that's about to happen. Mm. I I just think it's so funny that the gimmick battle royal was even the name of the thing because technically aren't all battle royals just the gimmick themselves and everyone has a gimmick I guess they are just meaning the over-the-top silly stuff the Kamala gimmick is super silly and really kind of really really racist when you think about it what is what is the background of the Kamala uh character because I mean I, I'm sort of have a bit limited like I know of him and sort of seen matches and that but what was the background it started in Tennessee as a, a bad guy or a foil for Jerry Lawler so it was them just creating a bad guy out of this African tribesman and James Harris the guy who did, betrayed the role did it really well like he's great at the gimmick it's it's just I imagine people look back on that and they're kind of on that whole thing but again it's not one of those i don't think it was malicious by james harris himself for kamala himself was just a guy working a gimmick and he, was, he had a job and was getting paid i guess yeah and r.i.p mr harris 
Yeah, we recently uh, lost him back in uh, 2020, which is, uh, I guess, all too common uh, nowadays. We've, uh, I guess, like you said, we're going back 20 years here, and some of these guys, obviously, in the heyday in the 80s and the uh, early 90s, uh, we get a quick promo of the the, the prep rally troop uh, where they had the Undertaker, Kurt Angle, and a lot of the WWE superstars um, uh, supporting the troops. And obviously, this is pre 9/11, and I guess WWE would really uh, further push this after that that uh, world changing event. Yeah, I, I remember, always remembered back, even before that, they always had those Tribute to the Troops shows that they made a big deal about. WWE always showing love for the troops, which is commendable. And they the special shows they put on for these guys, like you could see that the wrestlers themselves like really felt great for doing it and presenting this show to those guys. And we get a quick post-match interview with Kevin Kelly, who definitely one of my favorite commentators now, especially with the work that he does in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, talking to Kurt Angle, who is then attacked by Chris Benoit, who then gets the crossface and Kurt Angle taps again. But one of the matches I looked forward to as a kid, and even though it didn't really even last long and it was, it was squash, was the right to censor Ivory at the time taking on China for the women's title. And... China was never really kind of um, saddled with the women's division. She was always, you know, taking on the men or in the men's Royal Rumble or part of DX. And here she is in, a, I guess, a, a pre-kind of Divas match. I guess it's just the women talent at this point in time uh, taking on Ivory. And I remember the lead-up to this. I think it was at the Royal Rumble where they did the angle where China had a broken neck. And she had to she had to sign a, a waiver that uh wwe wouldn't be held responsible if she breaks her neck again in this match yeah, i always like those kind of angles like they, it doesn't really add anything to the storyline at all except for i guess they're showing that china is so brave and i gotta say uh china looked tremendous this is like the one of the best looking china's like the outfit or she wasn't nearly as uh, muscular she was kind of uh, leaned down she looked really great and the bazooka thing like that is such a memorable moment like her boom boom like it, it almost overshadowed the entire match <laughs> this damn bazooka it was a squash match. I don't think uh, Ivory got too much o- uh, offense in, but uh, a great. I mean, you know, she did her did her job uh, literally. But uh, we wouldn't see China um, too much longer after this. I think uh, a couple months after. I think that's when I don't know who, who you want to believe or how things went down. That she was offered a contract but wanted more money, or if she was kind of kicked out of there because of a certain relationship that was uh, in the works. Yeah, yeah, that's. Interesting to have your job all of a sudden fall out from under you when your boyfriend starts dating the boss's daughter. And you know you got to see that coming a mile away. Like, she's probably observed. She's literally watching her breakup being booked on TV. It's pretty crazy. I can, I can understand why she, after, like, all this happened, why she had so much issues. Like, it's really unfortunate. But mm-hmm. she, it sucks because all of this really kind of overshadows her career. Like their relationship now makes it where China's potentially not going in the Hall of Fame because of what happened that's totally out of her hands. I think as they, they kind of uh, shoehorned her in um, with DX, which which is great. They, they've acknowledged that. But I don't think, yeah, they would be really willing to acknowledge her individually, given, I don't know whether <laughs> the porn career or just the, the lead up to her leaving. But I mean, where do you sit on the fence? Do you think that she was offered a contract and turned it down because it wasn't enough money? Or do you think uh, the relationship between Stephanie and Triple H was basically the nail in the coffin. I, I probably, <clears throat> I'm going to have to assume both. Cause honestly, maybe she wanted more money to deal with that. Like 
I, if, if you guys want me to stay here and deal with this, I'm going to need a little bit more extra coin. And maybe they were mm. just not willing to do that. And I guess the, the brand split was was on the way. It would, may have been a bit easier if this happened maybe uh, 12 months after the fact because you know, call, yeah. if you know she could be on SmackDown or Raw and they could be on the other show. I mean, that's I mean the sort of going uh, forward a bit with the whole Edge and leader and Matt Hardy situation. I mean, that's how that kind of was, I guess, dealt with. Oh, yeah, you, you can just go on SmackDown and they'll be on Raw or all. Well, originally yeah. they even said, Matt, we're going to can you and because you're getting crazy and then they brought him back because they realized how much money yeah and i think if the fans didn't get here about that like they probably wouldn't have brought him back but fans were clamoring for that match to be i mean we're jumping around but still yeah those true life situations that lead to potentially career ending situations are in wrestling are always really big you know what i mean like huge do you think they could have done that? Like, uh, say if it came out that, obviously, well, the Stephanie Triple H thing was already a thing, storyline-wise, but then because, no, 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 this is real. Like, could they have shoot-horned that in? Obviously, I mean, we're, we're just, you know, we're booking, we're doing our uh, fantasy booking here, but could have that worked? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it would take, I think Triple H probably could have been cool with it. I don't know if China clearly loved this man. I don't know if she would be cool with do, making business off of something that's really her heart being broken. Like, Matt Hardy, I think he was a situation where money over heartbreak. Like, sure, this should happen. I can come make some money. China's probably like, no, this is my life. I've been with this man for so long. I'm not going to squander my soul for cash. I don't think she could, to be yeah. honest with you. It was especially with things that turned out for her. Like, it, it didn't seem like – she seemed like she held on to that, and it's unfortunate. I feel bad. I really, really liked her. Yeah, absolutely. Same. And uh, uh, another one who, again, he sadly is not with us. Uh, we go to a backstage segment with the McMahon family. You got Steph, Vince, Comatose uh, uh, Linda, and Trish, obviously the carer at this stage. And we get the classic promo of, you want to see shocking? I'll give you shocking. <laughs> Good Vince. Good Vince. I like it. <laughs> Did uh, did they show the WCW guys before this or after this? Uh, during the match, I think when Shane McMahon comes out, he he gives a shout out to the WCW guys who are in the VIP box. And, they, and I like they, how they didn't really shoot to him at first. They just kind of, hey guys. And then they cut over to him and they're way over there. And, and then we got to see another one of those fans jumping in the box. Hey, I'm blocking Mike Sanders. <laughs> I bet Mike Sanders was pissed. Like, I'm on TV and you're totally blocking me. They looked like they could, they would rather be anywhere else bar there. But I guess it kind of makes sense. Apparently the narrative is that Sean Stasiak went on a radio show and said, oh yeah, us WCW guys, we're supposed to be making our debuts at WrestleMania, helping out Shane. Like, basically just giving away everything and apparently... That was all scrapped. Oh, way to go, Stasiak. Not not surprising. The man made other blunders later in his career. I don't know if people listening, he, he's the guy that got fired because he was taping conversations in the locker room by leaving a recorder in his bag and he actually getting canned for that. Did you know well, about that? Why would he be recording, do you think? I honestly, maybe they're giving it to the dirt sheets. I, it's very weird. It doesn't make any, like, who just wants to hear mundane conversations of wrestlers in a locker room? Like, I don't see a market for it unless he was specifically trying to get something off of somebody. I, mm. I, I can only imagine. And I guess it's a, it's a bit unfortunate. You know, obviously he was pretty young then and even upon his return to uh, WWE. And I think because uh, his dad was Stan Stasiak. He was a pretty big name within uh, the, uh, the industry. And I think... He, 
making some silly mistakes like that definitely did tarnish any return coming back to the company, uh, I guess, a third time. And the guy, like, honestly, based off name value alone, if he just mined his P's and Q's, he probably could have had a job for a while. Like just, And the, the Planet Stasiak thing, I don't know if people remember it. I thought that was a lot of fun. This guy thought he was connected to a planet and was talking as if he was a planet. Like, really weird out there stuff and invented. It was really cool. Pretty sure he's a he's a chiropractor and a uh, motivational speaker at the moment. He I is think, indeed. Uh, yeah, I think I connected with him on Instagram just try to see if he would be if he would be interested to uh, have a chat, but uh, didn't hear anything back. So uh, I'll, I'll I might have to hit old Sean Stasiak up again and see if we can get his side. Just have a conversation with him in a room and just record it, you know, in a bag. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but uh, I guess I did love this McMahon v McMahon uh, street fight. I-, I loved how they had Shane come out first and then Mick Foley, the referee, because uh, both McMahons were coming out to the No Chance in Hell theme music. Yeah, that was. Did they stop it at all or did they keep it rolling? I don't remember. I thought they kept it rolling, but they had Shane come out and Shane says hello to his WCW new friends who are just like, thanks a lot, Sean. We could have been in this match, but you, uh, yeah, you, you blubbered on the radio, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then Shane introduces the referee, which is Mick Foley. Mick Foley comes out, then Vince McMahon. Yeah. Man, this match was, you got to give Vince something, man. When he wrestles a match, he really gives it his all. He goes out there. I think they just lay it in. He does not they don't pull the punches this guy's let, letting people punch him in the face and then shane uh, as much as he is a terrible puncher as far as wrestling is concerned tremendous <laughs> athlete and the guy really gives it his all every time he goes out there that's why he eventually became the stunt guy uh but yeah this was actually way better than it had any right to be to, when you really come down to it absolutely I've, and i think um when i was what re-watching this i was like oh let's see how it goes but it was actually very entertaining and for two guys who are not wrestlers i mean sure you had mick foley I don't, i'm not sure mick foley's influence on the the match he was the referee i'm guessing he may have assisted with a lot of that as well um but yeah the, the table spot the the trash can spot uh and obviously the uh i guess the the interminglings of uh trish stephanie but by far if not the biggest pop of the night or within this match is when Linda McMahon stands up. Isn't that hilarious? The the biggest pop is a woman standing out of a wheelchair to come kick a man in the nuts. And you you had to see it coming because they worked their way. Get, get her in the damn ring. Put this chair in the car. You sit here and you watch this. But still, fucking great. It just... Linda, your job is just to stand and people are going to love it. Was this the birth of Horny Vince? Obviously, the the, the very questionable and very dated, uh, looking back, uh, him pashing uh, Trish on the, the main stage and obviously having her as a bit of a slave, essentially, and her turning on turning on him and slapping him, but it was this is the birth of Horny Vince, right? Yeah, yeah, he, he was never... It was... He was never super flirty and pervy. He was always evil. And then then Trish was around and he became overtly pervy, kind of like JR these days. Uh, but <laughs> and, and incredibly pervy. Like, did he make her bark like a dog at some point, Trish? Yeah, yeah like, yeah. what? Totally demeaning. But, you know, back then we ate that shit up. Like, watching it now, back, you're like, Ugh. But then we're like, oh my God, look at this asshole. <laughs> 
while doing my research, you might be able to correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm pretty sure Vince McMahon, we, t- we always do our nuts over the Undertaker's WrestleMania streak, but I'm pretty sure uh, Vince McMahon has a reverse. He's 0-4 and four at WrestleMania. And I, that's only in matches, not including kind of, you know, once he's managed or, um, you know, the, the Trump v. McMahon uh, hair v. hair one. But I think in matches, I believe because his first one would have been, I think this this was probably his first match. And then I think, Hulk Hogan in WrestleMania 19, uh, Shawn Michaels uh, at 22, and Bret Hart at 26, which was an absolute abomination, but uh, 0-4 and four at WrestleMania. Well, one of the other st- streaks that stands out to me is Triple H. Uh, he has never won at WrestleMania except for once when he beat Booker T. Oh. Which, when you think about it, why? <laughs> why did you have to beat everyone, not get beat by everyone, but Booker T... Who was totally supposed to go over in that match, you fucking asshole. Because he's the game, ah, Triple H. Ah. One thing I did notice about this match, though, um, there was heightened security. The guys in yellow, I felt like, because uh, there was a lot of uh, commotion happening outside the ring and very much near the people, and those two McMahons, a lot more security, guys in yellow, appeared to be in shot. Did you notice that? Uh, now thinking back, yes, I did. Maybe they're worried that with all the run-ins, they wanted to ensure that no actual fans do a run-in and they just let them skirt past. Like, oh, that person's in the match. No worries. Remember that lady security guard that stopped Gronk from getting in his spot at WrestleMania? Like, yeah, (laughs) no one smartened her up. It's um, we talk about the WCW guys uh, and how they were supposed to either do run-ins or assist somehow. Could you imagine if you had all the WCW guys helping out, and then you had Trish coming in, you had Steph there, you had uh, Mick Foley, uh, Linda McMahon? That would have been a typical WCW two thousands match. That's an overly booked atrocity. Unfortunately, so so glad they didn't get to that. Thank you, Sean Stasiak. <laughs> <laughs> so yes Vince McMahon 0-4 at Wrestlemania but uh, Shane McMahon gets the win with the trash can spot absolutely love that spot I'm actually a big Shane McMahon mark I know he's uh, not too popular these days because maybe he got a few too many matches that he probably shouldn't have but um, I, I'm i really interested in say in a couple years or when the big guy does unfortunately pass away What's going to happen to WWE? You got uh, Stephanie McMahon, Triple H, but you also got Shane there as well, who you could say has equal um, percentage to take claim to whatever is left. How do you see that going down? I honestly, I as far as I know, Shane, even though he likes wrestling, doesn't love wrestling, so I don't see him actually getting involved in the company. As far as being someone who's running things in the future. Uh, definitely going to be Triple H and Stephanie mm. and then eventually their kids. But I, I can't hate on Shane too much. He definitely kind of overstayed his welcome in a way the most recent time. I was starting to dig Raw Underground when it was going on. Like the only part about Raw Underground that stunk was Shane. Like him being on the microphone the entire time calling the match. And just saying, oh, ooh, oh, do you see that? Oh, yeah, he got him. Like obnoxious. But he is a really great on-screen character. I, I love the billionaire son gimmick, like where he's just like a proud little rich boy and the Mean Street Posse and all that jazz. So big fan of Shane. I wonder if he'll come back like as an on-screen character. Like they just kind of dropped Raw Underground. We haven't seen him. 
Then we get a segment of Access, uh, which was happening. I mean, uh, this is uh, nowadays, I think Access is like a seven-day event as opposed to a two-day thing. Or I mean, it's almost a, yeah, like a fortnightly thing now with how big WrestleMania's got in the, the pre-ceremonies before the actual event itself. And as a fan, it was pretty cool. This was the early days of uh, what, I guess, WrestleMania weekend would uh, end up becoming. Uh, have you have you been to any WrestleManias? I have gone to a couple. Uh I've been at the WrestleMania weekend the last three times they've done it. Um, and I haven't gone to access yet just because as you were saying, the WrestleMania week has gotten so big. There's so many shows booked from independent wrestling that I don't have time to go look at WWE swag. That's just hanging up like a, a museum. I'm not really worried about going and getting autographs. I'm not that kind of wrestling fan. Like, I don't need signed things. I'm cool just watching the show and appreciating it. So I just go to the shows. I access looks incredible though. Like it, especially now that they add NXT matches and all kinds of stuff. Like it really is such a event. I, I really need to make it at least one time. Then we get uh, separate shots of Triple H uh, getting ready for his big match against Big Daddy uh, Undertaker, who's doing his little in his MMA sort of phase, I guess you could say. And uh, if you're like me, this was definitely, I guess you could say, a co-main event TLC two. I'm talking about the Dudleys taking on the Hardy Boys, and of course Edge and Christian. This thing, I remembered how great it was, but what a it's, it's totally insane. Like the minds that went to putting this match together, I, I I hear most of this stuff is like Matt Hardy and Christian and Edge putting all this stuff together. So hats off to those guys for structuring this match. Let's just start off. Yeah. TLC one or two, which one do you like better? I would, I would honestly have to watch TLC one again, but given the occasion, uh, I'd have to say TLC two, but I'm also a big fan of WrestleMania 16 in their, uh, their ladder match. Sure. I, I I was, when we started this, I'm like, I think I like the other one better. I assumed it. But after watching this and then all the extra hands that they had in the match, like we got Spike and Rhino in there to add a little flavor in there. This really, such a great, and the fact that it didn't just turn into a total clusterfuck, it, it's, it says something for these guys. It's a great match. And it could have really easily gone that way, especially when Jeff Hardy tried to do his, uh, I guess, stepping over the three different ladders but falls down to the ground but was able to readjust and get back there because otherwise uh jeff uh not jeff uh, edge would have been left with his dick in his hand <laughs> waiting on the other ladder being like oh i'm getting ready to spear you <laughs> i always love those moments where some guy looks like an asshole for a little bit like clearly this guy's supposed to be doing something he's just waiting uh <laughs> there was actually a spot during this match at one point where Ed, like i've noticed so many crazy bumps this one totally escaped me Edge lands in the la- uh, into the actual ropes and like bounces off them a couple times. The way he landed was like so gnarly. No wonder his career got ended at the time. Like the guy was so chaotic. I found out as well uh, the Jeff Hardy swanton spot uh, onto Spike and Rhino. Apparently, Jeff accidentally knocks uh, Spike's teeth out. Oh, great! Yeah, and that bump was so gnarly. Like it looks, Jeff kind of overshot it even a little bit, so he his back and tailbone almost hit the ground. Like. Goodness gracious. Yeah, there was some other crazy stuff. This match, knowing how crazy... When you hear all the interviews about uh, Devon being scared of heights, now watching it makes it so much funnier seeing him hang up there. Like, this guy hates that shit. <laughs> and how many times do you reckon in the meeting for this or the plan of this was Michael Hayes there going, Hey, Jeff, what do you think you can jump off? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
dude, dude, dude. Uh, Michael PS Hayes follows me on Twitter. Out of all the people that follow me, fucking purely sexy or purely sex Michael PS Hayes, dude. What the hell? The Freebird. I sometimes I like to pop my dad with this kind of stuff. Like he's a big wrestling fan. I'm like, Dad, Michael PS Hayes. So I was like, you're fucking kidding me. <laughs> so great. <laughs> and a lot of the criticism, like Michael Hayes, kind of putting him in, you know, these high risk situations. But the response usually from Jeff Hardy was like. Oh yeah, I could I could probably jump off that. Yeah, I could jump off that too. Hey, you want to do it, Michael? Let's do it. Let's check it out. <laughs> but I mean, how are these guys still alive? I mean, we have TLC matches now, which are very. I mean, you know, this, it's a controlled environment to an extent, but uh, you definitely don't see these type of matches anymore. No, and the, the spots are so insane, and like the when they use the ladder to hold Jeff's legs, and then the he lets go to swing to get the momentum for that spear. It's like. How do you guys even realize to do that to like make it look so much more dramatic? Just brilliant. Like they're wrestlers and they're using like physics. And you said the added elements of how each of them having a run in, being Spike, Rhino, and Lita, and uh, made me remind. It reminded me why, as a twelve-year-old, I really liked Lita and her G-bang. Yeah. <laughs> I I was always a Trish fan. I was never a big Lita fan, but I could see the appeal. I definitely could see the appeal. I also did have a Trish poster as well. It, oh, there you go. There you go. I, oh, as a twelve-year-old, I was like a grow. I was like a man. Like, yeah, these chicks are hot. You're like a twelve-year-old. Like, go, oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say maybe does uh, does Lita's G Bang deserve a T-shirt at Pro Wrestling Tees? Uh, why not give it to her? Like, <laughs> who's gonna? She'd have to adopt it. She'd have to agree because I don't think anybody else could sell it better, right? This is it, absolutely. But, I mean, absolute, uh, I mean, this is, I'd have to say the Hardys, Edge and Christian, those two teams particularly, are definitely a main reason why I kind of jumped from being a WCW guy to a WWF guy, that No Mercy match back in 99, and these series of ladder matches and TLC matches, which were just phenomenal and uh, just outright crazy and uh, dangerous, but... Do you think, because Edge went on to have such a successful uh, run as a champion, like as a, well, just a singles run, do you think that that kind of, at times, people forget how good the tag team of Edge and Christian were? Oh, definitely. And I I also think, unfortunately, it sucks for Christian because people don't realize how damn good he was. They just kind of remember him as uh, Chris, or Edge's psychic or little buddy. Because Christian's really great underrated like the one more match thing kind of they ran it so long that it kind of that kind of helped us or ruined his career too like they might him kind of a joke altogether christian was great uh but yeah edge is tremendous like these guys were destined to be great i think they became undeniable i don't think vince even necessarily wanted to run with these guys he definitely liked the hardy boys because pushed those guys to the moon and after these matches these guys became undeniable on Vince had to do something at that point in time. Kind of the same with the Hardy Boys. Everyone was loving Jeff with his death-defying um, stunts. And Matt Hardy, He was he, he, even nowadays, he's kind of really proved himself to be a great wrestling brain. Yeah, oh, agreed. And the longevity of Matt Hardy is undeniable. Again, I keep saying that word. I just Matt Hardy's, each stage of his career, he's created something interesting. Like, I don't know if you were watching it even when he was in ROH, and he took all his, like, real life issues and made that part of his character he just finds a way to keep going while jeff as amazing as it is technically he's just doing stunts all the time so yeah it, the, you're people compare like wrestling tag teams like who's the sean and who's the marty and you mm. automatically assume yeah jeff is going to be the sean 
And the the Dudley boys, uh, Bubba Ray, obviously, he's doing his busting open radio stuff. And pretty sure Devon, is he still a agent, I think, with WWE? I don't know. I know he, did you hear he recently made the news or the dirt sheets? I did. Uh, did, he, oh. did, he, did he, was it a, a come out, not come out or? Yeah, he said, he told people he was gay because he was hoping that the dirt sheets would take it and run with it. And nobody did. So he said, I tried to play all the wool on everybody and nobody <laughs> fell for it. Like, oh, no. why would you, I tried to play a joke. No one fell for it. So I'm going to tell everybody about it because I didn't prove my point. Like, what were you I, doing, dude? I guess that's more of a sign of where we are as a society now that obviously maybe back in the 90s and potentially even early 2000s, that would have been sort of uh, headline news for dirt sheets. But now it's just kind of like, yeah, that's that's cool, man. Or, but I think people are just like, no, bro, like, clearly you're not. <laughs> you're not. Like, we, we know it. And he's like, all right, I'm not. No one fell for it. <laughs> uh, absolutely sensational match here. Edge and Christian uh, taking out uh, the tag team titles here. Uh, we get another quick shot of uh, access, uh, but then we are uh, told the work or unworked uh, numbers or the attendance of uh, WrestleMania 17. Howard Finkel used to love this when he did this. I knew in stadium capacity record or whatever he would say, 67,925 people. 67,000. There's my little Finkel. That was great. That was uh, better than whatever I could do. Now, I was all in for this next match, and it was probably positioned very uh, well, given that uh, what the people had just seen with TLC2, the gimmick Battle Royal. Oh, it's so fun. Like, seeing all, like so many nostalgia pops all at one time. How can you not have a good time? I was seriously beaming the entire time. It's like... This is just great. Absolutely. Now, I'm, try- I'm going to try to see if I can get a, a list of the names here. Because, obviously, uh, uh, the Iron Sheik would go on to win this. Because, uh, basically, he was the last guy that... Uh, I mean, he was the only guy who probably couldn't take a bump going outside the ring. Because he doesn't even look like he can walk. Yes, he was wobbling around the wing, barely moving. Yeah. Definitely not bumping to the outside. Lucky Sheiky baby. We had the, I mean, we had the likes of the goon, uh, brother love, Bruce Pritchard, which is uh, ironic because now obviously he has such a, a high role back with the WWE after some time away. All right, so the full list of this gimmick battle royal. So the Iron Sheik, uh, brother love, the Bushwhackers, who I always thought were Australian, but they're New Zealand. Indeed. Um, Indeed. Jim Cornette. Doink, uh, and it'll be interesting to see which this Doink was. Uh, it definitely wouldn't have been... Um, Who was the Matt original Doink? Yeah, it wouldn't have been him. It would oh, Probably Ray Apollo. Yeah, I'm thinking so. Uh, we had Duke the Dumpster, Earthquake, the Gobbledygooker, who uh, was the only one out of all these uh, legends to get a package of, you know, when it cracked out of the egg at Survivor Series. Do you think that was Mando Guerrero actually wrestling? Yeah, Hector. It was Hector. Yeah, yeah Hector, I, I, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, at WrestleMania, God, who knows? I would like because you'd be it like, was. yeah, you'd hope so at the same time, but also you hope not. Like, if Hector's coming back, let at least let him wrestle, man. Uh, what, the guy who is the jobber here that everyone kind of clowns on him, the goon. Yeah, he technically back in the day before when he was Wild Bill Irwin, he was amazing back in WCW. Do you remember him at all? Did no, you watch I, I, I'd have to have, a, have to look check some of his stuff out. He was real good. And of course, we had Michael P.S. Hayes, who follows you on the Twitter. Yeah, he's the man. <laughs> Hillbilly Jim. Uh, he got. I mean, all these guys got pops. Kamala. Um, we had One Man Gang, who apparently was supposed to be uh, the African Dream Akeem, but because he lost a lot of weight, couldn't fit in that suit anymore. That's hilarious. <laughs> like, oh man, I'd rather him. I bet he's like, I'm so glad I get to be One Man Gang. 
such a better gimmick. I mean, Hakeem is rad, but one man gang. One of my favorites, definitely. Repo Man, uh, old uh, Demolition. Was he Demolition Axel? I think he was Smash. Smash is Bill Eady, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Repo Man there, Sergeant Slaughter, Tugboat, and Nikolai Volkov. And interesting enough, uh, the Iron Sheik did win this, but it would be remiss of me not to mention, of course, Gene, uh, Mean Gene Oakland and Bobby the Brain Heenan on commentary here. Very rusty, but they get a pass because they're just such great legends. Yeah, man. The voices of my childhood, like... I when I think about wrestling, I think about Bobby Heaton and Gorilla Monsoon together. That's that's the commentary team for me. But uh, yeah, love those guys. And it's for me, it was like I guess sort of Bobby the Brain there being back. It's kind of real sad because I mean it'll be a few years after this that he would he would really start to diminish in his health and he would make peri- uh, sporadic kind of appearances. But obviously, you just see you'd start to see his physical appearance start to change and. Uh, it was obviously a couple of years ago that we sadly lost him. Yeah, it's definitely hard to look at, but at the same time, like you saw that he was still pressing on and just being the brain and still cracking jokes when he could. So it's like kind of inspiring in a way, but yeah, it's, it's sad to see. Uh, man, what a brilliant guy. Like seriously, I, I owe a lot of my cr- comedy timing, I think, to that guy. Like just so funny. And everyone says he's the best. So it's undeniable. I mean, everyone agrees. I think uh, Mean Gene accidentally said uh, John Tenter when referring to Earthquake. Yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah, you fall in this. That's hilarious. Like, this guy has so many names. Like, I know John Tenter. I'm just going to say his damn name. He even played the bloody, uh, he was part of the oddities for a quick uh, cup of coffee. Golga. Yeah, yeah, that's Golga. right. And then we have him as the shark. And he's always looked old. Like, if you look at pictures of him from uh, Japan when he was like 23, he had that Caesar ring already. The guys always looked like an old man. A lot of the guys back in the day, they they did. They looked like they were about 40 or 50, and they're only like 30. Yeah, it's crazy. So just some guys have been always looking old. John Tenta. And he was tremendously agile and really quick. As a kid, I didn't get to appreciate it because he was just the guy who was fucking with Hulk Hogan. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. looking back now, man, John Tenta was great. Part of a golden age of uh, wrestling, absolutely no doubt. And uh, I think, yeah, Tugboat, who was Typhoon, uh, the natural disasters. But I love that they brought back Tugboat because apparently WrestleMania 6, it was going to be Hulk Hogan and Tugboat. Yeah, man, uh, quite a name. And Fred also had the unfortunate chore of being the Shockmaster, this guy. Uh, just get saddled with all these gimmicks. But hey, I guess he's so great, he just keeps on pressing on. I think he loves mentioning uh, the Shockmaster at uh, all the conventions and that. Yeah, if you're one thing that you're famous for is a total goofy thing, I'd ride it for the history, you know, man? Selling glittery Stormtrooper helmets, might as well. And our next match, we get to arguably one of the best Undertaker matches in recent times in this uh, period. Uh, Undertaker, Triple H, and probably one of the best ref bumps uh, of all time uh, that lasts about 11 to 12 minutes. So they can uh, they can basically go through the whole Astrodome in the background and uh, fall on a mattress and then wind their way back up into the ring. Is that Kyoto? Yeah, he took a nap. That was insane. I love how it starts out with Motorhead and then mm. uh, Triple H takes a nice walk over, enjoys the show for a little bit, maybe waves at Lemmy and like, all right, I got to go to the ring now. I'd have to say this is my favorite version of Triple H. If I had, if I had a, obviously again going back to the twelve-year-old Mark kid, um, this is the this is the peak best Triple H. I in my view, 
you know what? I might I might agree. Like the badass, like coming out thinking he's a rock god to Motorhead with a brilliant song. Like that song is just perfect for him. Yeah, Triple H was rad at this point in time. I also want to point out something funny. The shirt that Undertaker was wearing, it says, try me, I'll make you famous. And now this is something they sell in the merchandise stands. And people wore that walking around in their towns. Like how aggressive of a shirt this is. Like, try me, I'll make you famous. Like, are you trying to get into a fight? Like, this is ridiculous. I remember that there, that was the gimmick. Yeah, you know, I'll make you famous. I'll throw you off hell in a cell and yeah, do something to you. You just have to be a, reg- a regular guy. Like I'm a, I'm a regular guy. I think people need to know that if they try me, I'm going to make them famous. <laughs> and I was surprised that they actually had the, uh, on the network, uh, Limp Bizkit rolling um, for the theme music. Because I know, I think I bought a DVD a few years ago of the best of WrestleMania. Now they're kind of redundant given the network. But they um, put the the Ministry Undertaker music over it. They dubbed over it. Um, but but on the network they're using Roland. I don't I'm not sure if uh they go through stages where they have licensed it or bought the copyright to it or because given that Limp Biscuit have the main theme song that there was a deal made. I'm not sure maybe Fred Fred Durst has always made appearances here and there if there's a uh, under the table agreement, but surprised to hear Roland for The Undertaker. It really it's so weird how fitting I mean, it kind of did work for him. Like, he later went on to have that Kid Rock theme song, which I really can't stand. I think everyone hates it. But it's weird how Roland just kind of worked for this guy who was an undead biker. Like, what the hell? A rap rock song? And looking in retrospect as well, it's interesting, obviously, we've seen a lot more of The Undertaker now that he's retired, sort of, uh, I guess, uh, everyday Undertaker, you could say. But there was a lot sort of uh, a peek behind the curtain w- happening with this uh, American badass um, undertaker. Cause even Paul Heyman, when he was uh, commentating, he's like, I've known this you know man since the beginning of his career. Like obviously that kind of alluding to WCW or, you know, independence prior to being the dead man, uh, Phenom undertaker. It, it's sort of interesting looking back because once he would then go back to the dead man, it was a very much, you know, live in the gimmick type of thing. I think even before WCW, uh, Paul managed him when he was Punisher Dice Morgan. Like, I think that was his name for a bit. So yeah. And it's funny. It is kind of a peek behind the curtain, but at the same time, he was still doing a gimmick voice. Cause now that we know what Undertaker really sounds like, it's kind of like, Hey, you know, I'm Mark. It's really kind of a high pitched, <laughs> like Texas twang. It's kind of funny. Yeah. When I first heard him on the podcast, he's like, you know what, Steve? I thought I was going to be the Eggman. I was like, that's the fucking Undertaker? I thought I was going to be Eggman. Like, oh, man. Oh, it's, it is it's it is quite a uh, shock to the system, especially when, you like you said, you're a kid and uh, such a fan. And he's basically, for probably most of your childhood and all of mine, was, yeah, the dead man and, you know, lived the gimmick. And uh, then you, you kind of see him uh, out of gimmick. It's sort of, uh, it's surreal. I mean, I was watching him on the Joe Rogan experience uh the other day and it's just like wow like you know you know that it's not real but you know you suspend your disbelief but it's it's weird it's weird to explain to a wrestling fan oh for sure i i because I, I am old i do remember when he was in wcw as just mean mark or mark callus him going over to wwe like when he showed up at, at survivor series i was like okay, I know who that guy is, but he's totally acting different. And he just kind of melted away into the gimmick. Like eventually it was just like, that's the dead man. Okay. He's not a real human being. He's just this over the top gimmick. 
you might be able to recall this. This might have just been uh, hearsay here in Australia, but um, especially when he got rid of the moan, he kind of just had the goatee in the Ministry of Darkness. There was rumours going around, kind of like the Ultimate Warrior, that there was a, there was a new Undertaker, that the Undertaker had died. There was another one. I, I heard that about Kane for a little bit. Like, they said they replaced the Kane at some point along the way. I don't remember about the Undertaker. It's so weird how fans all of a sudden decide, nah, he looks kind of different, so it's clearly a different guy now. Like okay, <laughs> whatever. They actually uh, recently in AEW they had a scene where they beat up Pentagon, but to like ride him off TV. But I guess he was already hurt and couldn't be at TV, so they had somebody else wear his gear. So somebody else played Pentagon one week. I guess maybe one week somebody was a different Undertaker. I guess maybe maybe it happened. Who knows? I guess when they yeah. when we had the Under Faker. There was rumors of yeah. like, were they going to have him show up at house shows and be the Undertaker and see? Oh, maybe that's where they got confused. Maybe they assumed like, there's a new Undertaker. Maybe he's actually replaced. Ah, Ryan Lee. He was that gimmick, man. What a weird situation. They, <laughs> they bring a guy who kind of looks like him, isn't nearly as tall as him, and thinks that's going to convince people. Okay, cool. No, that was a real Undertaker. I, I, I'm. I want to see the Undertaker take on Fake Sting. At uh, the next Saudi show, uh, Saudi show, uh, and I reckon that will be box office. And then Kane shows up as fake Diesel. <laughs> <laughs> That's a main event in any country. Indeed. Now, I have to feel sorry for the Spanish announce table here. So, obviously, from the McMahon v. McMahon match, they had Shane go through their original... Um, their original table they get one of those crappy tables that they put wrestlers through every day every night uh and uh triple h just jumps on it and breaks it again so for the rest of the show the spanish announced guys don't have a table <laughs> way to go trips and obviously they're wrestling across uh the the crowd they get up into the stand where all the cameras and everything are and definitely probably not the best uh camera work here obviously Triple H gets choke slammed, essentially onto a mattress. But if they guess if they kind of shot it a little bit differently, it might have been okay. But then when Undertaker jumps on it, really shows it that it's a mattress. Kind of takes me back to you know wrestling on my own bed. That's so funny. I totally noticed that too. Like I had the same thought. Like oh, I wish that cameraman wasn't pointing directly down right there. But it, unfortunately, for some reason, he felt he needed to climb up there. He thought he could cut the mattress off better from there, but no, he inadvertently caught the entire thing. The ridiculous spot. There was also a sign there saying Vince should buy Texas. <laughs> could Vince he probably could Texas? afford it at the time. Yeah. At the yeah. time, probably. But now Texas would probably buy him. Because um, speaking with um, Matt McCarthy, former uh, WWE writer, he seems to think that, and obviously the acquisition with uh, what's happening with Peacock, with the WWE Network, uh, that... Like, say, for example, like a Disney or some other company could engulf uh, WWE. Do you see that uh, happening? Definitely. I could. As if, if Triple H and Stephanie eventually decide that they are not interested, or even if they sold it to them and they maintain some sort of controlling power within, like a power structure management. Yeah, definitely. But Disney, I imagine them absorbing it. Like, they want everything, they like every commercial property imaginable. So they'll just gobble it up. And we have one of the, like I said earlier, the best ref bumps, Mike Kerda, out for about 12 minutes. They finally make their way back to the ring. We see uh, Trippy's uh, famous sledgehammer. Um, it looks like the Undertaker's actually going to use the sledgehammer on Triple H. He kicks him in the nuts, and then uh, we get, a, I think, a pedigree, or I think 
Undertaker gets comes back and does a tombstone, but there's no ref. The ref's finally back. We think we've got to see a last ride. Triple H hits him with the sledgehammer. Is that going to be it? No, he kicks out. We, we see some blading from The Undertaker. Um, we get into the corner, and uh, Triple H is just trying to bust him further open. But then we see the last ride. One, two, three, Undertaker, 9-0 at WrestleMania. Yeah, yeah. I want to go back for one second and mention uh, the outside, besides the chokeslam on the outside to the mattress, the chokeslam that was in the ring, Triple H posted so perfectly on his shoulder. It was one of the biggest and most beautiful chokeslams ever. Like, Triple H doesn't get enough credit for how well he sells and takes moves man absolutely absolutely and um, he kind of you know would do the rick flair spot in the the turnbuckle which funny he would hurt himself really badly uh, um at uh, over in saudi um for one of those uh train wreck shows but yeah you're right and i think that's probably one of the reasons why i like this version as well because just how he would sell i mean he would continue to sell phenomenally um for the most of his career but and I think it was that there was an episode of Tough Enough where he was uh, talking to the the new talents and talking about selling and that. And um, one guy, like he was selling for them while they'll 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 punching him. And one guy, he goes, you know, no, actually no, he was punching him. He, he goes, if you don't if you don't sell if you don't sell or snap better for me, I'll I'll hit you with a live round. <laughs> yeah, I remember that bit. He also that's the when he does that snap back bump like really fast to like just blow their fucking minds like yeah yeah damn Whew, this guy knows what he's doing and, and uh just so you know uh, uh there's a hole in your shorts your, your nuts are hanging out <laughs> yeah oh yeah that line's great <laughs> that's to was it eric the big black guy i think it was uh, yeah, yeah i think so yeah it was just sort of out of nowhere well just so you know yeah, your, your nuts are hanging out or daryl daryl yeah that's right <laughs> yeah it's so good but uh, obviously, uh, this, uh, Jim Jim Ross mentions the, that the Undertaker is um, undefeated at WrestleMania. But I guess it wouldn't be until the following year where Undertaker beats Ric Flair that he kind of acknowledges it with the the, the ten hand sign. And I guess as a as a fan back then, because the li- the last half of the Undertaker's career was very much the streak, the streak, the streak, almost to the point where. It was at nauseam, and I guess because he was only competing for one uh, one match per year. Uh, as a fan, did you were you aware that of a, a streak here, and did you hold? Did you invest in that streak? Uh, I at the time when they said nine, I'm like, oh, that's interesting, but I didn't think it'd be something where they're going to try to push it. When they when you're right, when he did the ten thing, I'm like, oh, okay, they see something with this that they're going to try to run with. And over time, yeah, you're right, they just stacked it and stacked it and it got to a point where so many people were saying that it should never be broken and i could see that point of view from people but in professional wrestling to me a record that's based off something where they set it up to be that way isn't nearly as important as storytelling where Mm. someone beating him is really important and i think they did pick the right guy with brock uh because no one else could really saddle that load in my opinion Absolutely. That was, that was the next question. I know we're kind of jumping here, but uh, I have to. I, I watched WrestleMania 30, and I was much like that guy in the front row who was like wide eyed, and, and I and, and I thought I, I said to my friend, I was like, no, they're, no, they're, they've done something wrong here. No, no, hang, hang on, hang on, hang on. What, what's, what's happening here? Restart the match. Yeah, yeah, it was legit like that. But then in retrospect, I think yeah, it made sense for the likes of Brock Lesnar to uh, to 
to take the streak because from all accounts, I don't think the Undertaker was really possessive about the streak. I think there was rumors about Mark Henry, uh, Kurt Angle, and he was open to that idea. So it's quite interesting. I mean, Vince McMahon at the end of the day had the, the last say on it, but um, I think in long term, that made sense. Yeah, the Undertaker understands like what great storytelling comes from someone actually beating the streak like he, he he's one of the guys that goes knows that when you're go- leaving town you put the last person over so you do business but uh real quick before we move on from this match i want to during the bit where the emts came out the undertaker like kicked these guys' asses and one of them oversells so hard did you notice this guy he like started convulsing like the undertaker shoved him the guy starts like seizing up on it. it's ridiculous <laughs> I, I i knew that he, he hit him and uh, pushed him away now would these be real uh, EMTs or would these be actors? Those probably had. I imagine those were workers. Those are actually probably local wrestlers just came out here to take those bumps. Could you imagine if it was a real EMT? Yeah, it's like he's like, oh, I get to my chance to be on screen and overreact, right? <laughs> or they're real EMTs and Undertaker like legit just shoves them like, oh shit, what the fuck's going on? We're trying to help this guy. And so nine and zero Undertaker, and now we are at the main event, baby, for the WWF or then WWF uh, Championship, the Attitude Era Eagle Winged Eagle Belt, which uh, I had as a kid. I used to love that belt, one of the best ones. And it is Stone Cold Steve Austin who won the Royal Rumble a few months prior and taken on now champion The Rock. And we get a, another great video package of the lead up to this. And obviously the, the backing track being Limp Biscuit, My Way. Uh, Deborah was kind of mixed in with this through storyline. I which... totally forgot that Deborah was The Rock's manager at this time. Yeah. Like that, I completely blanked that out. That. That actually, now I think about it, it's interesting, fun storytelling. But yeah, I totally forgot about that. And just because I, I wasn't able to watch the, the shows uh, in real time, but sort of just watching back at the video packages and some footage that I've seen, I, the the Stone Cold Steve Austin, he was definitely not acting like the Stone Cold of old. There was definitely hints or, you know, insinuations of a, of a potential heel turn that we would eventually see. Yeah, he, he was always out for himself, but... Like, you know, don't trust anybody, that whole thing. But this was, mm. like, more like he's out for himself. He's not worried about anybody else. Yeah. Where before he was just, he didn't need help. This is, like, I don't give a fuck. And I believe he comes out to the disturbed version of uh, his uh, theme music. You mentioned that. it. I heard it, and I'm like, ugh, this is horrible to my ears. I can't stand it. It's literally one of the worst. Do you like it? Because I can't I, fucking stand it. I do. I'm actually a fan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard him like I, I'm so glad I blanked this out because it's so awful. Maybe it's just because they don't like Disturbed, but yeah. So, <laughs> it's so funny. They did a whole album, I guess. Was it called like uh, Unlawful Entry or something? Like it was something weird that sounded like vaguely sexual. Unlawful Entry or something. Possible like that. Entry. entry that's I think that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, some shit like that. Yeah. Um, I'm a fan of this uh this theme, but I obviously still do like the uh the 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 original glass shows, I love how I totally bury it in like hardcore then you're like yeah I love it <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's you know that's why different strokes for different folks as they uh, as they say but uh, obviously huge pop for Austin here at the Astrodome homeboy um, you know and but even it's I don't know 2020 hindsight again I sort of mentioned the promos you, there's little inklings there even him just walking to the ring maybe I'm over analyzing but you can the, 
knowing what I know now, you can kind of pick up on it. But just little things, just subtleties of, hang on, it doesn't seem like the Stone Cold of old, but I guess, I think there was a, uh, that he sort of said in his documentary and on the podcast that he was even kind of doubting himself. And one of the main reasons for the heel turn was because he felt that he got stale. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Like before, like when he's walking, he would kind of look toward the fans and stuff while he's going to the ring. This way, he's just like walking straight toward the ring, all business. You mentioned the video package, how great it is. The bit where they show them sharing beers, Rock and Austin, and they clink cans. They get him more aggressive, and eventually they just start battling. Like, that is just great <laughs> professional wrestling, man. <laughs> and and then The Rock comes out. Obviously, he's uh, getting booed out of the building, uh, and... There's actually a shot where the the Rock would always do his um, on the turnbuckle things, but uh, Austin's in the turnbuckle, which he's going to walk towards, and he's almost doing this weird smile, and it just, for some reason, just stuck with me when re-watching it, but um, it's not too long, and I think Rock comes down from the other turnbuckle, and they start, you know, trading punches, and it, it, it is off, we're off to the races with this match, and I remember as a kid, not being so infatuated with the match, but obviously the the moment after the match. But rewatching this match, it was a hell of a match. Oh yeah, There's, like of course, easy to say with these two guys, but it really great storytelling, and the way it built to the moment where Vince came out, and it's so you're like, well, huh? Like who's going to be helping here? Like it'd be weird if he helped Austin, mm. and the way it proceeds, like okay, now. Stone Cold's kind of like telling Vince off while this is going down. Like, this is really intriguing. What the fuck? Like, it, I, a great match altogether. The in ring stuff is great, and the storytelling stuff is just. Uh, did forget to mention uh, no disqualification, which, you know, Jim Ross sold perfectly. But like, since when was it a no disqualification? And, and, and sort of really selling that. And, Again, going back to Austin, like even when Austin was such a, uh, he was a baby face, but a different type of baby face that wrestling had seen at that time. Even when there was chance chances to to cheat, usually the baby face wouldn't do it. Do that. It would be the heel that would be doing those type of things that doing anything to win. But Austin was hitting him with a chair or hitting him with uh, weapons and right right from the get go. Yeah, and and it's one of those things where if you're a fan, you're like. Well, he's trying to win. I can excuse it away. Maybe not understanding the subtleties of it. But yeah, all the clues were there, you know? And I, I've got to feel sorry for uh, The Rock a little bit. He kind of gets booed out of the building here. Fair enough, uh, being in Texas. But then the following year, taking on Hogan, and everyone's just all on board with Hogan, and uh, they kind of had to call it audible and, I guess, somewhat change roles during that match. But uh, yeah, I feel... Yeah, yeah, I feel bad for The Rock uh, getting booed uh, two consecutive uh, WrestleManias. That Hogan face-off was just so special and so bizarre that the fans did it. Like, of course, nowadays people probably or definitely would not do that. Uh, but at the time, like Hogan, even the NWO stuff was kind of stale, but people were still just like all about it suddenly, and it turned everything. It's just crazy. It's one of those magical moments. That changed uh, wrestling from there on in because dream matches became a reality as opposed to when WCW was a thing and WWE was a thing. Oh, wouldn't it be cool if they could cross contaminate and, you know, uh, you know, be, have these dream matches. And from there on in, you would always, every now and then, whether it be a SummerSlam or a WrestleMania, you'd get the, the dream match and wrestling was never quite the same. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I guess more to this match, uh, what I found hilarious, no disqualifications, uh, but both men uh, get the sharpshooter on each other at different times in the match. They both get to the rope and the ref makes them uh, break, even though it's a no disqualification. Oh yeah, you're right. What the fuck? <laughs> he got it. He got it all up in the moment. He's like, no, no. Oh shit! What did I do? Do, but it, it made sense obviously because uh, where they were going for. But that's. I mean, my friend and I at work used to have this uh, conversation. If a match is a no holds bar match, what's stopping a wrestler from bringing a gun and shooting the other wrestler? <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, yeah, we have a certain decorum we must follow, sir. <laughs> it's all about them- decorum. And one of them is, regardless of it being a no disqualification, if you have a submission on, if they have the rope, you got to let go. Yeah, indeed. That's so <laughs> funny. I actually just saw recently on my Twitter feed, um, there was photos of uh, this this match, but uh, it was focusing on Earl Hebner, uh, and apparently they were thinking that he had some uh, blades in his pockets, and I'm, I don't know if he gave the blades to The Rock or to Steve Austin, because both of these guys are bleeding like stuffed pigs. Um but I think there's a point where I think uh, I think Austin, uh, Rock might hit Austin with a chair, and you can see straight away that Austin has gone to his wrist his wrist pads or whatever in like in pulling something out because next shot you see him he's he's bleeding. And I like that it's not subtle at all, but they tried to uh, recreate the shot of him, you know, with him and Brett and the blood running down. Like try, they tried to recreate that shot exactly, and for the sake of it 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 was pretty good i mean it was awesome like it's so such a captivating image i was gonna say as images go especially in wrestling that's one of the the more iconic ones wouldn't you say yeah yeah the one with him and brett is just so so intense because the blood is like dripping between his teeth like down to his lip like and you see it like oh man that's a lot of blood it is dripping off his mouth big booze as we get uh, vince mcmahon coming down here and you kind of allude to it like well hang on who's he here to help is he here to help austin or is he here to help rock because you know obviously leading up to that stage uh the boss v the worker in steve austin and vince mcmahon they had been at odds but the rock had had history with vince mcmahon being part of the corporation so that was viable so until he pulls the rock off austin you kind of don't know what's happening with vincent austin and rock yeah, and I honestly, like, because I said I only watched this one time, I totally forgot this is where the turn took place. So I was like, wait a minute. I they I bit. I bit again. Like, it's so what? long. I, I was all on my edge of my seat like, oh, okay. And when it happened, I was so fucking like, okay, this is when it went down. That's that's good. I I hated this at the time. I wonder why I like it so much now. It was like totally changed my opinion at the end of the match. One moment I want to talk about real quick is... Both these guys trade finishes. Who do you think does the better version of the move? Because I, I felt that the Austin's rock bottom was uh, better than the stunner done by the rock. Yeah, the the stunner by the rock is very showy and uh, not as uh, on point, I guess, as uh, Steve Austin's. But uh, in saying that, I think the, disc, the Disco Inferno does a better stunner. Oh, the chart buster. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he called it and, cause, and that's something that would uh, obviously they would then go on to Wrestlemania 19 as well and they'll they'll trade finishes again but I'd have to say it wouldn't be one of the first but it'd be one of the first of this era where finishes were done and you'd kind of have your false finish yeah and it beca- now it's so commonplace that you no match if a match ends on the first 
fall or the first fit fall like where it's clearly this is not going to be a false finish like you're shocked like how come there wasn't three or four false finishes before this happened that's insane it comes to a point where austin gets vince mcmahon to get the chair you know even austin's holding him while vince mcmahon hits uh the rock with the chair and rock i think that's out. the most intriguing part is that it appeared that austin was the one who is leading this power struggle. You know what I mean? Like Vince was being pushed around by Austin. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you're right. And uh, obviously the rock kicks out a few times of it, then hits him a few more times. Three count. We've got a new WWF champion in Steve Austin and um, Vince McMahon, Austin embrace. They have a few beers together. And you mentioned uh, being bossed around. Austin kind of does slap, like does the, I don't know if you call it condescending, but sort of slaps him on the face a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like basically like kind of like like a little little baby good I, you're adorable i love you like one of those things yeah and yeah, it's um, hilarious this as much as that's shocking just as a visual scene that you'd have to give credit to jim ross for really selling it on commentary you know doing the make doing a deal with the devil you know why austin why and those things like that absolutely mwah, absolutely amazing one of jim's better calls for sure at the time, do you, were you for the heel turn with Austin, or were you uh, absolutely against it? I hated that it came from this at the time because I just didn't. I thought it was so not what the Steve Austin character would do. Like I, I don't see him siding with Vince. Maybe being mean to other people could have turned him heel. But in retrospect, I loved it because I, I loved all the fun that came from it. The the funny parts of Steve Austin palling around with Vince, and then eventually in the alliance, uh, him and Kurt fighting over the affections of Vince McMahon like everything that came from it was so good I can't get too mad at it I think as a kid and even to this day I I actually am a big fan of uh, the heel turn here and thought it was great I think maybe the the planning going forward because obviously the 2001 and 2002 was a big reason why Austin ended up walking out for that period of time in 03 I think it was but like I, I like that. I like that he was here. I was like, great, that's something different. We haven't seen this type of uh, Austin before, being with McMahon. But I guess there was so much going on. You had the invasion. You had WCW and the XFL. Maybe it was a victim of circumstance. It was a good idea, but maybe not. They didn't, uh, I guess, moving forward, didn't move on the best with it. Or maybe Steve Austin was just being too much of a diva, mind the pun. Yeah, they, they they really just kind of made it just a fun comedy thing toward like the run of it, like toward the end, like didn't capitalize on it. But that, that was the same thing with the invasion, like the WCW, they did not capitalize on that properly. Like so much fun could have came from that. Unfortunately, we did not get that. But, you know, retrospect or hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> now, as WrestleManias go, uh, you've been watching wrestling and uh, WrestleManias for quite some time. We're about to go into WrestleMania, what are we, 37, if you can believe it. Um, where where does this WrestleMania rank, and would you say this is the best WrestleMania of all time? You know what? I Before I watched it again, I, I didn't feel like I could say that it was, but I, everything was so perfect, I might have to say it's the greatest WrestleMania. I, I, it's weird saying that. I never like to be so emphatic and give definitive answers. Or anything. That's why I don't have a favorite match or a favorite wrestler besides Eddie Guerrero. Like I don't have a favorite company or any of that shit. It, it might be the best one, man. I think I might have to agree. Yeah, I, I think um, definitely for for me, 
even though WrestleMania 16 gets panned because it basically didn't have any singles match and it was a bit of a, uh, it was an interesting event. And I guess if you look at all the Attitude Era WrestleManias, this out of the Attitude Era, this is definitely the best one. Um, but 16, 17, 18 for me were the best type of WrestleManias because I was at my peak fandom. And I think you're always going to look back fondly to what you loved as a kid or as a, a young adult. And I mean, th- there was good matches that come from 19 and onwards in that. But yeah, I think 17, it's it's hard to argue that it not being the best WrestleMania. Yeah, I don't think I was as big a WWE fan. Like I still like it, but at that point in time, I was huge. My kind of fandom went downhill. As much as I loved all the stuff with the Austin being funny with Kurt and stuff, the invasion really soured me because I loved WCW so much. I felt like that should have been something so much better. Mm. That's why I went to the independent. That's when I fell in love with ROH. So this was like the peak of my fandom too, but I kind of went off after that. And and that's a perfect example of it being the the, the culmination of wrestling at its peak this was this was this was the the season finale of sorts because i guess after that i mean you know once you have no competition to compete against uh, and you start competing internally which i mean you should to some extent any sort of organization sort of needs that sort of competitiveness but when you kind of there's only independence. I mean, there's, you know, WWE doesn't have to compete with independence. And I guess it just shows, I mean, once they bought WCW, they, the, everything went down, but I mean, whether that was going to happen regardless, uh, it's just interesting to see how that did happen. Yeah. They definitely began to just kind of coast and they just do whatever they want. They're not really looking to follow the trends that the fans are into. Like they do begrudgingly at times, like the Daniel Bryan thing, they just kind of had to as much as they didn't want to. And, they even came out, uh, I think it recently is like two or three years back and say, now we're going to be all about the fans and do what you want. And they totally didn't do that at all. So yeah, they, they, they've been coasting for quite a while. Uh, I really, I'm glad that AEW exists. I hope they just get bigger to maybe light a fire under WWE's ass. And I hope new Japan pushes into America more and just when we can have shows and they just, again, light a fire to WWE's ass because a, I challenge WWE is a better WWE. Like Vince has the ability to make amazing wrestling television if, you know, he's in, inspired to do so. Absolutely. And one thing I almost forgot about when doing research here, apparently uh, one of the main reasons for uh, Undertaker Triple H being a match is because they had essentially had the card ready, but they forgot about Undertaker and Triple H. And essentially that's the, the main cause to for them to be in a match. But also rumors flying uh, was that Mike Tyson was going to, being a match with Triple H. Ooh, man! You Aren't that? we glad that didn't happen? That would, because really, like the the Triple H and uh, Undertaker match is one of my favorite Undertaker WrestleMania matches. So I'm glad that did not happen. But could you imagine Mike Tathan, you know, boxing up against Triple H? Yeah, it's, hey, uh, yeah, I'm the baddest man on the planet, you know. But I'm the game, Triple H. Yeah, yeah, but that man, Mike Tathan, you know, I'm just gonna make off and tell your kids. I don't have any kids yet. Ah. Yeah, well, I uh, eat your baby. 
<laughs> he bites on Triple H's nose. Yeah, well, there's a fair bit of it uh, to take out there. So, yeah, could you imagine? But, um, yeah, like I said, glad that we got what we did. And I'm absolutely glad that uh, you uh, took the time to speak to me today, Jeremy, a.k.a. at James Vanderbeek on the Twitter. And you do love to uh, create uh, logos and designs for wrestling T-shirts. Uh, what have you got happening at the moment? Uh, well, right now I am, I just finished something. So my plate is once again open, but I just did a logo for Le Faction in Gobernables, Rouge's uh, group in ROH. So check that out. It's going to be available on Pro Wrestling Tees. I think it's the Mass Republic page, as well as I imagined Rouge's page and uh, Dragon Lee's page as well. So if you want to get some of the stuff I make, I make all kinds of weird mashups or throwbacks to old school wrestling t-shirts. And that's at pentagonzo.com. It's like Pentagon, the wrestler, but combined with Gonzo. It's basically what I do every day on Twitter. I combined two things and make them one. It's a mashup. And it's amazing because sometimes um, I'll see the the new pictures and the new creations that you've made. And I'll just, I, I mean, absolute wonder of them. And then sometimes I'll be just sitting at work randomly when I should be working, but then I come up with a mashup and I'm, and I have to, I have to, have to tag you for approval to see what you, what you think of it. And sometimes I even send you what I would consider to be okay designs for a shirt. And uh, you give me a, a, a good pat on the back and indulge my uh, nerdness. And no problem, man. I honestly, wrestling art is fun to do. Uh, comedy within wrestling and doing silly stuff it's gotten me actually to this place where i design t-shirts and engage with wrestlers who respect me and for some reason i'm really popular in australia with australian wrestlers they fucking love my shit it's really weird but regardless um when uh these uh borders and uh all that open have to get you to a pwa show pro wrestling australia just in the country i think you uh, absolutely love the talent and uh, the shows that uh, australia are doing at the moment but until next time james vanderbeek at james vanderbeek jeremy tate thank you so much for talking about wrestlemania 17 officially decided today the best wrestlemania of all time i concur thank you sir thank you joel Stone Cold Steve Austin has sold his soul!